This is week number two of this series called Stand. You know, we are so blessed in the United States to have, uh, James, if you'll hit that light for us, we are so blessed in the United States to have the luxuries that we have here. I, I was thinking last night, you know, my dad, um, he was born in the 30s. Um, and when he went to church, his mom wouldn't take him. And so when he was a, a little boy, he would saddle his horse and he would get on his horse and he would ride his horse to church. That's how he got there. And I was thinking about that. I was just, just so amazed at the difference from then to now. In fact, there's a great chance that today you won't see a horse anywhere in town. I mean, we know Neil has horses, and he drives them around town every once in a while. But and out, you, just, you don't want to get behind them. Outside of that, outside of that, we probably you probably there's a good chance you probably will not see a horse in town today, right? Things have changed. Things have changed. And I, as I think about those changes from then to now, the culture that we live in today it's really different compared to that that my dad grew up in. Just so different. Today, everything that we see screams and says, this world is about you and what you want. About your luxury and your ease and making life easy for you. And sometimes that makes it difficult for us. So I'm going to be honest with you. Sometimes that can be difficult for me then to distinguish right and wrong, good and bad. Because there's such a gray area. And I think I figured out what has caused that gray area for me. And that is, that is because the lines get blurred. They get blurred because I have a tendency to start making decisions based upon what, what I'm thinking at the time, what I want. Because there are so many things out there for me to want, you know? So many things for me to be involved in and want to do. And you might say, well, there's just not that many options for me, Harley. I, I, I don't know what you're talking about, but... There don't seem to be that many options for me. I don't have the money. I'm trying to get things done. Let, let me just put this in perspective. Help us to put this in perspective. A man said this, and, and, I, and it's true. I believe it to be true. He said, if you have the means, the ability, the money to buy a single book, if you have the money to buy a book and you have the education to read that book, then you are among the world's wealthiest. That's a fact. If you can buy a book today, and you have the education to read that book, you are among the elite, according to the world standard. We, but you say, we have a tendency, you know what? We have a tendency to compare ourselves to that person and that person, right? And you say, well, I'm, I, I don't have what they have. The world is comparing themselves to you. When I say world, I'm talking about world, global community, worldwide. You are among the elite if you can buy a book and you have the education to read it. And we live in this United States that the rest of the world seems to compare themselves to and say, I want the luxuries they have. And you know, those luxuries are nice. They're grand. 
They're great. But this culture has a tendency to say, live your life based upon your desires, what you want, and the way you see the world, the way it can meet your needs. And it creates some blurry lines for us. We have a tendency to make our decisions based upon the way we feel, what we want in the moment. We seem to treat our decision-making kind of like we do choosing a restaurant. Whatever we're hungry for at the moment, that's where we want to go, right? That's the restaurant we choose. We seem to to treat our decisions the same way, no matter what it is. It's whatever we want or whatever we're feeling in that moment, that's how we decide. And you know what? In the United States, there is something for every single appetite that you have, no matter what that appetite is. No matter how good or how evil it might be, there is someone in the world that that has that very same appetite. And you have access to them. So suddenly, appetites that were not normal become very normal because someone in the world is on the internet this moment and they have the same appetite that you do. And we have a way to meet any appetite that we have. Now that is a luxury. And living during this century, it seems that lines are getting more crossed instead of more clear. They're easily, easily getting blurred. Right, and last week we looked at the first few verses in the book of Daniel. And Cole kind of unpacked how there were three sieges that took place on Jerusalem. And Daniel, the guy who this this book that we're in is named after, and some of his friends were taken from Jerusalem back to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar during the first siege. So the king captured some of the royal, royal family and the other important people they were there in Jerusalem, and he took them back to Babylon. And what is just I find fascinating myself, just a century and a half before that even took place, the prophet Isaiah warned that this would happen. So just a little bit of example of fulfilled prophecy there. But today we pick up in verse 3 of Daniel chapter 1. In this narrative, we pick up right where we left off, and it says, Then the king ordered Aspenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and some other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. It was not enough for King Neb to take the city of Jerusalem underneath his control and put a puppet king in place, but he also took the future, you know, the the ruling class, those that would grow up and, and rule over Jerusalem. He took those, so he was essentially taking the future of Jerusalem also. He captured them. Um, and he takes them back to Babylon, and out of that group of people, he would then then select some boys that that would be given special training and would go go through kind of this boot camp of of you know embracing the Babylon culture. Um, and in verse four, he gives out he spells out his requirements for selecting these boys. He says, "Select only the strong." healthy and good-looking young men, he said. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve. 
in the royal palace. So Harley and I are not making this cut here for these, you know, voted most likely to succeed and, and good looking. I was um, voted most likely to eat <laughs> a lot. <laughs> so the king says here, take the most likely to succeed, the good, the best looking of these boys and teach them the language and the literature of the Babylons. In other words, teach them to talk how we talk, the king says, and to think how we think. In verse 5, he goes on, it says, The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchen. Um, this special treatment that they received, it include, concluded eating the same exact thing that the king ate. He wanted them to eat exactly what he ate, drink what he ate, the best of the best that could be provided. He wanted them to have. Um, and, and it goes on, they were to be trained for three years and they would, they would then enter the royal service. Verse 6, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. So Daniel and his friends were part of the, one of the, some of these boys that were chosen. And he says, I, I want to pause just for a second here and tell you a little bit about these guys' names and what it meant because that, that's, that's important. Um, especially in the Old Testament, a Hebrew's name, it often reflected something about God or about God's character. And for example, Daniel, his name meant God is judge. And, and Hananiah's name meant Jehovah is gracious. And Michelle's name, it literally meant who is what God is. In other words, it meant who compares to God. And what he was saying is no one compares. His name was actually saying no one compares or is equal to my God. And Azariah's name meant the Lord helps. So, so those, you know, their names reflected something about God and about his character. In verse 7, we're told, though, that the chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belteshazzar. Hananiah was called Shadrach. Mishael was called Meshach. Ezra was called Abednego. And these, Bab these Babylonian names were a constant reminder of the fact that they had taken away their Hebrew names that honored God. And their new names, they basically took out the, the Hebrew God and just placed in a, a Babylonian God or you know an idol that they had. So they still, uh, still kind of meant something about this, this false God. But it was a constant reminder that, that their names had been stripped away, just chiseling away at their culture. Um, they were facing, as we do sometimes, pressure from all sides, for, and for three years, to be shaped and conformed to this Babylonian culture. They were faced with situations on daily, a daily basis that would con conflict with their convictions and their faith. And, and they would have to decide whether they would stand for what they believed in or not. You know, chances are that we won't face the exact same situation they went through. But that as, as was stated last week, we face the same enemy that they face. And you know, if you're a follower of Christ, when you became a follower of Christ, you gained an enemy. Um, as Colin Harley talked about last week, 
And throughout the Bible, he's referred to as different things. Most often it is the evil one. He's also referred to as Satan or Lucifer or even the God of this world. And he becomes our enemy. And Harley, we are also tempted to conform. Uh, And there's pressure on us from our society that that wants to change who we are. Yeah. Uh, You know, I was doing some looking. The name Donald, I'm pretty sure, means... I don't know why you're laughing. That's not funny. <laughs> the name Donald means has many children. And if I'm not mistaken, Brooke changed her name to Donnie, which means diaper duty. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. I think Brooke means I will steal your children. <laughs> so, you know, Donnie is right. Um, this culture is trying to press us into its mold to think the way it thinks to do what it does live the way it lives in fact it's kind of a danger of becoming a babylonian culture because this culture in babylon they were all about themselves living to please themselves and that that name became synonymous with living the way you want to please yourself. And that's, uh, to this day, and all through Scripture, that name is synonymous with that type of thinking. And we have a similar culture today. It kind of goes something like this. A little more, just a bit, it won't hurt. Here, have some dip. I work so long just to play so hard. Don't bother me and stay out of my yard. I hate Walmart, I hate lines. Don't they know how to treat me, my, and mine? A little more, just a bit, it won't hurt. Here, have a sip. The news talks of ISIS. I I do feel sad, but not too long. I need my heating pad because my recliner's getting old and it makes my back terribly sore. I'll just get another. Hey, that makes four. Off to the store. First, a quick hot shower. Sales almost over. I only have an hour. The line is slow. I have so much to do. Surely it's no bother if I get in front of you. I'm sure. I, I, I'm more rushed. I'm more important. I'm more stressed. Don't get in my way or you just might get blessed. So many people and things can eat up my time. So it's a no to them because of me, mine, and mine. A little more, just a bit. Don't listen to Harley. It's just a guilt trip. We're living in a culture that says whatever you want, you can have it. That you are here for you and to please you and to do what you want to do. And no one has a right to tell you otherwise. You know, our Babylon that we live in today, we're in a a daily training To be conformed to that Babylon. To change the way that we think. The way that we see the world around us. And the way it's training us is to not look at the world according to what God says or what scripture says. But instead to see things how the culture says that they should be. So we end up doing this. We end up saying who is important. And we answer that question by saying well whatever the culture says Those people are important. Well, they're important to me too. Whatever the culture says, those people are worth your time. Then that's who we say, that's who's worth my time. 
or we say, what is important to you? Well, whatever the culture says is important to me. Whatever the culture says is worth my time. That's where I'm going to go spend my time. And about your purpose in life. What this whole life is about? Well, pretty much most people buy into whatever the culture says this life is about. And then that's how we invest our money. And that's how we invest our time according to what the culture says is important. If ever there was a Babylonian culture anywhere in the world during any century, then certainly we're living in one now. It's here. And the evil one has a training plan for you. A plan to change you into what he chooses. And friends, don't expect this fight for the souls of men to be fair with the evil one. And if you're a Christ follower, if you're a Christ follower, don't expect him to fight fair as he tries to get you to use your life, to use your decisions, your reactions, your anger, your words, or even your silence to send people running away from the church, running away from Jesus, running away from God. Listen to what happened here as all of this was going down and the king had set aside all of this food and all of this, changed their name, set aside the food, said, you're going to eat all of this. this is, you're going to have what I have. Whatever you want, that's what you're going to have. Verse 8. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and the wine um, given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff, for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. In other words, it's as if Daniel is saying, I can't get out of this culture. I've landed here and I can't get out, but I will be determined that I will not change the way I see the world around me to think the way that you think in Babylon. He was determined. He, that means he set his mind. He decided in advance, I will not be changed by the culture around me. I won't just drift along with it. You know, Harley, I like what Matthew Henry said about this passage here. He said that Nebuchadnezzar could change Daniel's name, but not his nature. Yeah, I like, he can't. Daniel's saying, you, you, can, you can change what you call me. You can call me whatever you want, but you can't change the nature who God has created me to be and the way that he has created me to see the world the way he sees the world. Daniel determined, I won't be changed. You can change my name, you can call me what you will, but you cannot force me or entice me to turn my back on God. Here's our bottom line statement today. You will purposefully change the world around you or... The culture will change you. Listen to that again. You can purposefully, that means be determined to change the world around you or the culture will change you. So Daniel said I, he was determined not to be changed. Verse 9. Now, God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. You know what this means to me? Even though Daniel and his three buddies and, and all of these guys, even though they 
were placed in Babylon and they were captives. That's not where they wanted to be or chose to be. Even though they were there, God was still in control. God was in control this whole time. Verse 10. But he so they so uh, they talked to the staff guy, but he responded. He said, I'm afraid of my Lord the King, in verse 10, who has ordered that you eat this food and wine. If you become pale and thin compared to the other guys your age, I'm afraid the king is going to have me beheaded. He, he was afraid of what might happen. And so Daniel's request, denied. Denied. And so I guess Daniel could just say, well, oh well. I mean, we tried. I mean, we, took, we tried. Didn't work, so let's go to the buffet. Let's eat. That's not what he said. Daniel said he was determined to not be defiled. He decided beforehand. He was ready. He would not defile himself. So he went to a plan B. And here's the plan B in number, uh, verse 11. Daniel spoke with the attendant. So he goes to the next step down in the authority. The attendant who had been appointed by the chief of staff who just denied his request to look after Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And here's what Daniel said in verse 12. Please, he said, test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables. And literally translated, this means anything from, from seed. So it was fruits and vegetables and grains. And he said, from, from, from vegetables and water, Daniel said, verse 13. At the end of the 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. The attendant. He agreed to Daniel's suggestion, and he tested them for 10 days, verse 15. At the end of the 10 days, Daniel and his friends, they looked healthier, they looked better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. Verse 16, so after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of food provided for the others. So the others continued to eat the enormous giant buffet of anything you could ever want. The others were absorbed into this Babylonian culture. And as a result, they had less power, they had less influence, they had less integrity, but they had more food and more options and more of everything that didn't count. And they had less and less of what did count. Verse 17, God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding. So it seems like they had less, but listen, it was actually more. God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel a special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. Verse 18, when the training period ordered by the king was completed, that training period, Donnie told us, was three years. Three years to transform these guys. To recreate these guys into the image of this new culture that said, whatever you want, you can have. It's all about you and what you want and your needs and your desires. But these four would not be changed. So the training period ordered by the king, when it was over, completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 19, the king talked with them and no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the royal service. These, these four guys, they were hired. 
They were hired. They refused to be changed by the culture. They were determined that they wouldn't be changed by the culture. Verse 20, whenever the king consulted them on any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them ten times more capable than any of the magicians, magicians, uh, enchanters uh, in his entire kingdom. In other words, everyone who was supposed to advise the king and give him advice, these four were ten times more effective than anyone else. Verse 21. Daniel remained in the royal service until the first year of the reign of King Cyrus. Now, here's what that means. That last verse means that Daniel would spend the best of his life in Babylon. And God allowed it. In fact, God orchestrated it. Daniel was there by God's providence, God's decision. God's choice. And we will see as we go further into this book over the next few weeks, we will see that they, these four men, made a difference where they were because they chose to not be influenced by the culture, but instead to make changes, loving changes around them. You know, there were many, it wasn't just these four guys, there were many young men chosen. But these are the only four names that we hear about. Why is that? You know what, I think it's because all the other young men were absorbed into the culture of Babylon. These were the only four that took a stand. The others just simply submerged themselves into this culture. And because of it, they were rendered useless. You will purposefully change the world around you, or the culture will change you. God does not want you rendered useless. So we're asking you to determine today... I will not be defiled by the culture in which I live. Make no mistake. We're not talking about judging people around us. That's not what we're talking about. We have to love and serve the people around us. We're saying don't let the evil one trap you in the luxuries of this culture to say that this life is about you and what you want and what you can get out of it. Because that's the Babylonian culture that he's trying to infect you with. So that when it comes time to make a decision, instead of consulting God and saying, what do you say about this? The evil one wants you to say, what do you feel about it? Because that's what you need to do. What does your heart say about it? That's what you need to do. And what does the Bible say about our heart? It is evil and wicked. So no wonder the evil one wants you to follow your heart. God wants you to follow him. And we want you to follow him. And that's why, as a next step today, we're asking you, will you do two things with us? 
Here's the first thing. And if you will, just circle the letter A on the back of your connection card. One letter, there's two steps in one step. Here it is. The first part of this is this. Psalm 119. Will you read every day eight verses in Psalm 119? The next day, go to the next eight verses. The next day, the next day. And just take however many days it takes you to work your way all the way through Psalm 119. It'll take probably the rest of this month. It's a giant psalm. Would you do that? And here's why we're asking you to do that. Because every, almost every single verse in this giant psalm is reminding us of the value of God's word and his word being active in your life and you pursuing his word as you pursue him. Will you read eight verses a day out of Psalm 119 and have a conversation with God about it? Don't just read it blindly just read it and then talk to God about what you just read here's the second part we've asked you to do this one before you can't do this too much that's why we're asking again will you read then after you read those eight verses will you then read one chapter out of the book of Proverbs and again that will take you about a month to do, to do this eight verses in Psalm 119 a day just go to the next day and then one chapter in Proverbs. And here's why. You must be determined that the evil one does not use this culture to change you. But instead, you allow God to help you lovingly change this world around you. And our bottom line, you will purposefully change the world around you or the culture will change you. To remind you of this enormous task, this influence. We've got a video we're getting ready to play. And it is to remind you that you are here for a purpose. And there is a world around you that is dying to be connected with Jesus. Lovingly walked and escorted to the cross of Christ. Watch this video. The world is broken. And people are hurting. They're carrying years of past regrets, failures, and pain. They're lost in a fog of lies, disillusioned by what the world says is happiness. They've fallen into the trap of sin, desperate to become the good person they want to be, but powerless to change. Burdened, angry, and helpless. out to the heavy-hearted when we the feet of Jesus run to the fallen 
when we remove our insecurities and let the light of Christ shine bright in the darkness. God moves. give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love. And when we truly believe this, freedom is found, minds are renewed, and hearts are healed. God moves when we step out in faith, when we let go of our time, our talents, and our treasure. God moves when we, the church, go all in. Can you imagine what it might be like a year from now if you choose to not be influenced by this culture that says just live your life for you and the way that you want, but instead you refer to God's view and how he died on the cross to connect your family and your friends and your co-workers with him eternally. Can you imagine I do believe that you will purposefully change the world around you or the culture is going to change you and that applies to me as well. If we could just be determined to say, I will not be defiled by the views of this culture, but instead I will default to God's view and lovingly escort my family and my friends and my co-workers to the cross. God doesn't want you rendered useless. He wants all of you. And He's going to use you to make a difference in the lives of the people that you work with, that you live with. Let's pray. God, we know that Daniel determined in his heart that he would not defile himself. God, we have to be purposeful. We need your help to do that. So that we can have purpose 
as we change this world around us lovingly. Because God, if we do not, if we do not determine to not be defiled by this culture that we live in, then God, this culture is going to change us. But if we could just somehow, even beginning this week, just remind ourselves with this Psalm 119, remind ourselves with a Proverbs every single day that you have a worldview. We can default to the way you see the world and we can love the people around us and escort them to the cross. God, I can just, I can just picture one day those who have submitted to you in this room and they spend their eternity with you walking side by side with the people that they have loved, the people they have pointed towards you, the people that they have helped, they've played a role in them connecting their lives eternally with you. And there in that eternity, we will get to fall on our knees and we will get to worship you, Jesus, face to face with our friends and our family that we have escorted to the cross. God, we offer you these songs. We're thankful for our friend Dustin. We're thankful for Rusty as they lead us now in worship. And may these lyrics resonate with our hearts and may they bring you glory and honor and praise. We offer this worship to you in the name of Jesus, our Messiah, our Savior, our King, and our Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen.